Well, there's, there's something in life that we all hope never finds us. We try and run from it. We try and hide from it. No matter how much money we accumulate or how much we don't have, no matter where we move, we could move to the ends of the earth. It always finds us. It always seems to find, find us. And that it is suffering. Pain and suffering eventually shows up. And so if it hasn't shown up, if, if it hasn't moved into your house, if it hasn't shown up to your doorstep yet, it will. It will. It finds us. Suffering finds us. And for me personally, suffering actually showed up and found me at an early age. Uh, I, I was seven years old and uh, our family uh, experienced something that, that would change our family dynamic forever. Uh, it started with just a routine doctor visit. My, my oldest sister uh, was sick and my, my mom took her to the doctor. She's six years older than me, so she was about 13. Um, thought it was just strep throat or something like that. And uh, we, we found out that my sister had cancer. She had a, they found a lump on her throat and she had developed cancer. And this is you know, when, when we were, were seven. And so uh, for the next six years, that's, uh, my sister battled cancer. Uh, and as a kid, you, you really don't initially understand what's going on, and you, and you, and you wonder, why, would, why is my sister suffering this way? She's just my sweet sister. What, why, would, why would this happen uh, to, to her? I, I remember uh, many a nights uh, listening to her groan and cry out in so much pain and agony, hearing her throw up. I watched as a transformation began to happen with my sister as she took chemotherapy and, and she lost her hair and she gained weight and she transformed into somebody that I couldn't even recognize uh, anymore. That cancer uh, eventually went into remission. It came back as leukemia and got in her bone marrow. Um, and at 19 years old on New Year's Day, my sister died. And so my formative childhood years, all of them, what I can remember, every memory has cancer in it. You wondered who stays at Ronald McDonald Homes? You're looking at him. Suffering hurts. Hurts when it comes home. It hurts when, when it hits us personally. Why, why would an all-knowing, all-powerful, good God allow such evil and suffering to take place? We start asking these questions, you know, the atrocities, evil happens, suffering happens every minute of every day. And when it's in a cross in the ocean, yeah, we think that's bad. But when it hits home, when it hits us or somebody we love, that's when we really start to doubt. That's when we really start having questions. And there's a reason that this question has been asked since the dawn of time. It still get asked today by Christians and non-Christians alike. And there's a reason that we don't fully understand the answer. And part of it lies in the question itself. When we say, why the suffering, God? Why? And the answer I have for you today is, I don't know. Not fully. I, I don't know fully, and you don't know fully. That's why people throughout time have still asked that question. That's why we still ask that question. So today, as we continue our I Doubt It series, we come to this big, looming question that probably causes more doubt and stirs up more doubt than any other question we're doing so far. Whether you're in church or out of church, a believer or not. And the question we're going to tackle today is, is why in the world would an all-knowing, all-powerful, good God allow such suffering and evil to take place? And listen, let me pause here for just a minute and recognize a certain group 
that may be in this room today, that may be listening online, if you're here today and you are going through traumatic, painful suffering in your life or you know someone that is, I just want you to know you are loved. You are not forsaken. You have people that will be willing to hold your hand even though we don't fully understand and walk through it with you. I know that when you're hurting in that, in that regard, it's hard to hear these words of truth. Even though we need them, sometimes it's hard to hear, and today may be hard to hear for you. And so know this, that today we're not going to try and minimize suffering with some simple platitudes to say, brother or sister, you just got to believe more and have more faith, and whatever is afflicting you or whatever is afflicting your loved one will get better. I can't guarantee you that. And, and God, while God, our God, can decide, to choose, he can decide to heal and choose to heal any affliction he wants, that is not always how he works. My sister, her church, our church, prayed for her for years. It seemed like she had, we had a whole school and a whole city praying for her for years, and she still died. So today is not about proving if suffering exists. Listen, you don't have to be a believer to know that it does. It doesn't matter, like suffering exists, so today what we're trying to do is, is, is work through and grapple through why it does. Does it have value? Everybody at some point in their life, you're gonna have to grapple with that if you haven't already. Religions, different religions of the world try and grapple with it in different ways. New Age ultimately decides that, well, suffering just has to be an illusion. And you punch him in the face and say, was that an illusion? You feel that, right? I'm just kidding. Hinduism says, hey, we believe in karma and dharma, and if you're suffering in this life now, we believe that, that you've been in a past life already, that you had to do something terrible in that past life, so what you're suffering through now, you deserve. Atheism, the people that believe there is no God. In fact, what they say is the very presence of suffering and evil proves there is no God. How in the world can you have suffering and God at the same time? It can't happen, can't, can't exist that way. Well, actually, to actually acknowledge that there's evil and suffering and good at all, you, you can't have either one of those without a God. Because th that, that means what you're saying is as soon as you acknowledge there's evil, as soon as you acknowledge there's good, that means there is a moral authority that established good and evil and suffering. So we presume there is a moral authority. If there is a moral good God, then what is going on? See, we tend, we tend not to have trouble or, or issues on, with, on the good side of the moral equation, do we? Nobody ever says, you know what? I'm doubting you, God, because there's just so much good stuff happening to me right now. Nobody ever says that, do they? You know, but as soon as pain and suffering shows up, though, what do we immediately do? Oh, 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 God must not be real. Because no way would we have to suffer, no way that type of suffering could go on if there was a good God. Why does suffering exist, especially if our God is good and especially if he is powerful enough and knowledgeable enough to do something about it? Well, the main takeaway today, the, 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 the main understanding that I want you to, to hopefully walk away with today is that, listen, the power of suffering lies in its transformation, not its explanation. 
You want to know why it exists? One of the main reasons it does is to transform our hearts and our lives and to turn us and give us hope to what really matters in life, to use that as a transformative power, not simply an explanation. Turn with me today to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and you'll see it up on your screen as well that you can follow along there. And in Romans 8, 18, uh, most people think that Paul wrote this book to the, to the church at Rome. And like in, in, in probably about half the cases when Paul was writing, he was suffering himself. He was in chains. He was in, in prison when he wrote this letter, when he wrote these words. He was in the midst of, of extreme suffering. So here what Paul has to say when he writes these words. He's talking about present suffering and future glory. And listen to what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You'll hear that again, groaning. When we groan, when anything or anyone screams and groans, that means they're in pain, they're hurting. Something is not right. And not only, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. We're groaning too. Something's still not right. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now listen, today we suffer because of our address. Why is there suffering today still? It's because of where we live. Because what, what Paul just talked about is that all of creation is still groaning. We ourselves are still groaning. Something is still not right. We suffer because we live, our address is in a fallen world. And creation groans in futility. That means it is not able to fulfill its ultimate purpose and it's crying about it. It's broken still. In Genesis 3, we find out why. We actually hear the gospel proclaimed for the first time at least written down. We get to see that the, the gospel story, it says, in the beginning, God, not in the beginning, Jonathan. In the beginning, God created something and it was good. And man sinned against God and messed it up. Brought in extreme destruction and death to not only their life, but to all of creation, which they, God gave them to oversee. Creation didn't deserve it and they got it anyway. But at the same time, God said, I am just and I'm holy, so I have to deal with this sin that you have brought into this good thing that I've created. So I'm going to, I'm going to curse it, and it's got to die, and you have to die now. But at the very same time, our God is full of grace and hope, and he said, but it's not always going to be this way. It's not going to derail my plan. I'm going to redeem all of this one day, and when you trust in me, you're still going to have life, and you don't have to die. That's the gospel, isn't it? That is, so, that is such good news. But guys, we still, we're in an already not yet world. That's where we still live. Don't forget that. Yes, 
We have a God who came and died for us so that we could have life and experience his spirit inside of us now. We have that. That means that sin no longer is our master. No longer does it have power over us, but it is still present. We are not yet home. It is not yet finished. And so we have suffering still. That is, that is where we live. We live in that war zone, both in the unseen world and the seen world. We, we, we don't get confused. Listen, if you're a soldier and you go off to war in a war zone, you are not surprised of the, that there's going to be death and destruction. There's going to be pain and suffering because of where you're living. Most of the time when soldiers go off to war, listen, 90% of the time they're bored. They're playing cards and they get bored for, for a week and then the next day their, fr their best friend dies. And even soldiers can forget, oh yeah, I'm still living in a war zone. Things still aren't right. There's still pain and suffering that enters in. So we can't be surprised when pain and suffering shows up on our front door. Yet we always seem to be. Could God have stopped it when it first began? Could he have said, hey, oh, 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 I'm stopping this. I'm stopping the evil right now. Yeah, he sure could. But he created us to have a capacity to have a relationship with him. That means he created us to choose. He created us with a free will and a choice to love him or not. He did not force us to. He did not make us to. So yes, he could have stopped it, but if he removed it and he removed our choice, he also removes love. When you remove choice, you silence love. So yes, he could have. So why? Why would he create to begin with him? Well, we say, okay, well, fine. If he's all-knowing, all-powerful, why would he even create the universe and create all this to begin with? Well, why did you, parents? Why did I? I've got two daughters. Guess what I did? I participated in their creation. I, brought, I decided, we decided to bring them in this world knowing full well there is evil and suffering in it. Why did I decide to do that? I shouldn't have done it, right? Not if there's evil and suffering. Why did I decide to do it? Because I knew that A, evil and suffering was a part of life and they could actually, it could actually be a vital part of life that could help them grow and turn them to their creator. And because I know that suffering, while it exists in our world, it doesn't have to define us. That is not what defines life. Yes, it is part of it, but that part helps turn our hearts to where life actually exists. Guys, God determined a plan even before creation, and while suffering entered into his plan, it did not derail it. It did not catch him off guard. He uses it to point us toward our true hope. But to do that, we've got to understand who's actually in control of life. Suffering helps us see who's really in control, and it reveals the point of life isn't happiness and comfort. See, suffering clarifies that for us. It crystallizes who's in control in our life. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says that we look through a, a mirror like it's dimly lit because we can't see it all. We don't understand it all. In Isaiah 55, God himself says, your ways are not my ways. You do not understand everything that I do and you were never supposed to. Stop acting like you're supposed to. Listen, it, it would be like this, guys. What we need to understand, what, you know, 
uh, that God is still in control even with suffering. And yes, suffering still happens. And we're not going to fully understand why it does. And it would be like this. We know that there is a huge gap between adults and kids, right? As a parent, as a 40-year-old dad, when I was deciding to buy a home, I didn't sit down with my three-year-old daughter, Taylor, and say, hey, Tay, so here's what I was thinking. Should I wait? Is the interest rates going to go down? Should I go fixed, variable? What are your thoughts on that? She would just say, juice. <laughs> right? Good talk, Taylor. I'm glad we had this conversation. That has really helped me make my decision. No, no. Do you know what she did? She took, I, I went, I gave her juice. She took the juice, she took the home with zero understanding. What she did was she said, I'm going to take my daddy's grace. I don't understand why I have a house. I don't even understand why I have this juice. I just want it. And my dad gave it to me. And I'm going to trust in my father. And I'm just going to accept his grace because I'm at three years old. I can do nothing to earn it. And then I kept giving her juice. And then I eventually had to take her to the dentist. And all she saw was a scary man that was going to bring in pain and suffering. And he did. And I allowed it to happen because I knew that temporary pain and suffering was for her best benefit as a good father. So I allowed it to happen. I allowed that to happen. We see it time and time and time again all throughout history. Guys, you are not as smart as you think you are. We get that, that there's a huge gap between a parent and a child. Can you imagine the gap between a human and a God that created light? I think we forget that. God awakens us to our positional understanding in life. We see it through the three J's, through, through Job and Joseph and Jonah. When we look back through scriptures, Job says, you want to you find out about, okay, let, let's give you a clear illustration about suffering here. Finally, Job, Job is sitting there and, and God allows all this suffering to happen. And we are all reading this and going, why in the world? He's letting Satan rip away his family and take everything from him. And God says, okay, do it. That's fine. And Job, finally, we're going to get an answer to it. He says, God, why? Why would you let this happen? Great. All right. We're ready for it. Give us to it. Why the suffering, God? He says, Job, who are you? And who am I? And in, in Joseph, all these bad things happen to his flesh and blood, his own brothers. Can you imagine if your own brothers and sisters were trying to kill you and they said, nah, let me th we're thinking better of it. Let's just sell you into slavery. And finally, on the other side, Joseph eventually realized that they meant it for evil. God decided to use it for good. And Jonah, who we probably relate to more than anybody, poor Jonah. God said, you know what? I want to save these Ninevite people. And Jonah said, no, I want those people to die. They don't deserve to live. They have killed our people. They have slashed open pregnant bellies. They deserve to die, God. And what did God do? Well, you know what? You're right, Jonah. On second thought, no, what he did was, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And you don't get to tell me when my redemption runs dry. You don't get to tell me how far my repentance goes. Jonah, you deserve to die too. We all deserve to die. That's the point. Guys, we respond, though, in very personal ways, don't we? All those men were still asking the same question. Why, God? Why? Because they were being hurt, and they didn't understand it. And most of the time, just like them, we respond with a doubt of wonderment and or a doubt of judgment. When we respond, when suffering hits us with a doubt of wonderment, what we say is, God, I don't understand why this is happening, but I trust you. 
However, more times than not, we respond with a doubt of judgment. And we say, God, I don't understand why this is happening. How could you? I don't trust you anymore because you're letting this happen. Well, did you ever trust him to begin with? That's the point of Job. Good or bad, life is about God, not you. It's about trusting in him. Suffering, though, is never neutral. It's always personal. As we continue reading in Romans 8, Paul's acutely aware of that. In verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. God understands we don't understand. He says, For we do not, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And that is highly personal. When we're hurting and all we can do is cry and groan, guess, guess what? We have a God that groans with us. And when we don't even know what to say anymore, he is interceding and groaning on our behalf. Skip down to verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is, to, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And listen to this, Jesus, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Guys, listen. God knows that. Suffering is never neutral. It's always personal. And he made it very personal. God understood that he could never explain fully to our satisfaction how there was too great of a gap when it comes to suffering. But what he could do is he could address it in a very personal way that we could understand. Guys, listen to this. God's ultimate answer to suffering is not some great verbal explanation. It's a great incarnation. God moves into our neighborhood. God did, that's, that's when Jesus decided to wrap himself in flesh and enter our world, enter our dress, enter this war zone. He knew going in, he was gonna die. And that was the plan. God says, I know suffering's not neutral. I know it's personal. And guess what? My plan all along is to die for you, is to take it all on my shoulders so that you can live. The suffering and killing of our creator is transformed into the most supreme act of love we have ever seen. That ultimate suffering produced our greatest good. That also means that God can take your current suffering, whatever you're going through now, and through his amazing grace, he can still transform your heart. And that's our greatest need. God knows that. The problem is when, when suffering becomes from out there to in here, it, hit, it hits home. It becomes very personal. We become hyper aware of it. It's like a stranger broke into our house. And all, all we can think about now is the suffering that's befalling us. But God knew the true danger is it lies in our heart. That's where the real danger is. And when we're sailing along and things are going just fine, we... Things get very dangerous because we have a tendency to turn our heart to something else, don't we? See, we always think that, that 
we're going to be healthy and strong forever, right? That's one of the things we start trusting in. When things are, are, are cruising along just fine, we're like, yeah, my physical body, it's never going to change. Right? The laughter. We ought to, so I, we, we cruise along until what happens one day? The body that we were counting on fails us. And then we have knee braces coming into the picture. And so my knee is failing me now. And so the thing that I trusted in, in my physical body, everything was just great. Knees were never going to fail me. Now, what am I doing? I'm hoping this temporary knee brace can help what I once trusted in. Because your physical body is going to break down. We trust it. We, we think when things are, are just fine, we start trusting in things like that. As amazing and wonderful as my wife is, she is not my hope. When I put my, if I put my ultimate trust and hope in my wife, I'm going to get let down. But what happens? God allows that suffering to move in to expose our heart. To expose it. And what happens? When that suffering moves in, it exposes the idol of self-reliance and relying on others, doesn't it? Opens up our heart and, uh, and, and we have to admit, oh, I've been trusted in something or something else or someone else all along. I hadn't been trusting in God. See, when the thing that you've been trusting in, whatever it is, is laid waste, you don't just lose that thing or that person. When you think that way, it exposes that you had actually been trusting in that person, so you lose your identity and the security that you thought it provided. And that's what suffering exposes. And most of the time, guys, we can't get there without it. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Suffering is God shouting to you saying, listen, you need me. I'm your answer. I'm your creator. I know your pain. I know your suffering. I've experienced it. Draw close to me. I'm the one that can actually make a difference in your life. Give your heart over to me. Trust me. And God isn't content just to give us temporary relief when he knows there's an eternal heart change at stake. So God graciously uses suffering to produce in you what you could never produce in yourself. See, in that moment of suffering where you think you've been forsaken, God is gracing us with his transforming and delivering power. He is delivering us from ourself. One day, the good news is, you're like, man, well, when does that ever end? One day, he'll bring deliverance to all of his creation. One day, the suffering and pain does end. Ultimately, when we give our hearts and life over to him, he promises to deliver us from evil and suffering once and for all. You see, suffering is necessary because suffering reminds us that we're not home yet. We're not there yet. The problem is, is that when you only ever live with a here and now mentality, all you're ever concerned about is the here and now. So, so what you do is, is, is when you think that way, when you live that way, then, then yeah, this is all you've got. This life is all you have when you have that mentality. So you're gonna do everything possible to try and make it as, mo as, as the most comfortable, pleasurable thing you can. 
Because the here and now is all you got. Suffering reminds us that we're not home yet. It's important to understand that, that, that we're just tent dwellers. This is not our permanent home. The story is not over. It is not yet complete. And God employs suffering to produce in our hearts a longing to be with him and his eternal home that he's going to fully restore and fully redeem. Now, you, you may say, well, Jonathan, that's, that's, yeah, that's all well and good, but, but you still don't know the suffering and the pain that I've been through. It's, it's interesting how God raises up people in your life to help show you specific things that you need at the time. Um, some of you guys, God did this with, with uh, this person, a person named Nancy Uera, that some of you guys may know. She, she was a part of our church for a while a few years back. And Nancy uh, grew up in the Republic of Congo. And uh, long story short, she ended up here in the United States, and she actually ended up here at New Life and part of my community group. And when I met Nancy, um, I met far and away, uh, she was filled with joy, and she was literally one of the most joyful people I had ever met. And I was like, wow. I mean, you could, if, when, you were just, when I was just around Nancy, joy spilled out on me. And then I got to know her. And I was like, Nancy, you've got no business experiencing joy. Because what happened to Nancy was this. She grew up in a country that said, I do not want you. You are not welcome. Because of your ethnicity, I'm going to kill you. So they murdered her parents and they murdered her siblings. And she barely got escaped alive with her own life. All that tragedy happened, yet she radiated with joy. And I was like, how, Nancy? Why, Nancy? Because she knew this wasn't her home. Nancy, by the grace of God, adopted her as a daughter into her family, into his family. And Nancy, we, we got, our whole family got to actually go and watch uh, Nancy's U.S. citizenship as she got sworn in as a U.S. citizen. It was really cool to be part of that ceremony to say, hey, you've got a country that uh, wants you to be a part of it. And it's saying, welcome home. But more than that, Nancy had that joy because she had already put her faith and trust in her true creator, in the only source of joy, and the only source of hope that any of us have. And because of that, regardless of what had happened in this war zone, Nancy still had unthinkable joy in her life. And it was amazing to see. And I, I hope and I pray that I get to experience just a portion of what Nancy had. Because in Romans 8, verses 37 through 39, and verse 18, God reminds us that suffering eventually does come to an end when he says, No, in all these things we were more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As my challenge for you today, as we leave here talking about a heavy topic, a painful topic, is that you would go out this week and whether you had to have experienced suffering in the past or even if you're going through it right now, that you would be able to ask these questions. One would be, what has suffering really exposed in your heart? 
What is suffering bringing to the forefront? And will you allow God to use that suffering to help transform your heart and lead you home, lead you to him? And I would challenge you to, to, to take that suffering that, that you've experienced uh, maybe in the past or, or that you're even going through right now, and, and, and I want you to be cognizant and look around and, and see f- who in your midst is suffering right now. Who is going through pain and suffering? Will you be willing to hold their hand? Will you be willing to listen to their groans and their pains? And when the time is right, will you be willing to point them to a suffering Savior that will lead them to true life, true redemption, and true hope? And the one who holds all of our future. Can you imagine if instead of constantly living a life with a doubt of judgment when suffering strikes, we understand that suffering can awake our hearts to our true need and remind us who holds our true future. Would you pray with me? God, we're, we're just humble before you today. God, we know, I know that We'll never be able to understand things fully in this life. We can't fully understand pain and suffering because we can't see it all. We are light years apart, Father, when it comes to your understanding. God, not just pain and suffering, there's so many things in life that we don't have a full and complete understanding on. But that's not our purpose, Father. Help us to see, remind us that our true hope, our true life lies in trusting in you with it that a good father gives us exactly what we need when we need it sometimes it's joy sometimes it's good pleasures and God sometimes we know it's suffering and while we still don't understand it all yet we pray that we'll admit to that fact and trust you anyway God, we know that that suffering has not derailed your plan for us, your plan for redemption. Remind us of that on a daily basis. Help us to carry each other's burdens. God, when when good things happen, help us to celebrate with each other. And when bad things happen, help us to carry each other's burden and just to walk hand in hand through it. Father, thank you for understanding that suffering is personal and entering entering into our world to provide a way out in a very personal way. God, we give you all the praise, we give you all the honor, and we give you all the glory right now. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.